We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Welcome to this week's Taiwan This Week. And tonight we have a special show recorded at a joint ECCT-ICRT roundtable in Taichung, where we looked at how November's municipal elections are shaping up in both central Taiwan and Kaohsiung. And we had some slight problems with our microphones during the recording of the event, but we have tried to remove most of the sound issues from the show, so if any remain, I apologise. Right, we shall begin... Freddie, of course, introduced the panel earlier. I will quickly introduce it again. To my right here is Courtney Donovan-Smith. To his right is Albert Cho. And to his right is Michael Eric Smith. Or Eric Michael Smith. That always confuses me. Anyway, we shall begin. And seeing as we're in Taichung, we shall begin in Kaohsiung with Eric at the end there. So, Eric, of course, one could argue a very contentious campaign trail this year round. And, of course, one Mr. Han appears to be doing quite well. Yeah, he's uh, really come out of nowhere to become uh, perhaps this election's uh, biggest wild card or phenomenon. And um, six months ago, you know, a year ago, just, there, was, there was no indicator that the KMT even had a, a slimmer of a chance in Kaohsiung. But uh, he's run with um, a message of, I guess, populism would be the term. He really is just arguing that the city is falling behind, that we, he's called it old and poor. He's been very direct in his terms. And traditionally, Kaohsiung has responded, or at least uh, for, for the most part, they've been more uh, traditional in their campaigns. So things like believe in Kaohsiung are what the DPP is running. And the KMT candidate is saying, Kaohsiung, wake up. And it's resonating. So we just saw within the past couple of weeks the possibility of Han overtaking uh, the, the candidate Chen Shi Mai. And uh, should this actually come to pass, it would be a, a political revolution for southern Taiwan. Yeah, um, to me, I think there's a key criteria for us to notice is that whether or not the young voters, they show their approval of uh, Han Guoyu online will be translated into real action on the uh, election day. That's one uh, thing we should notice because back in uh, 2014 and even 2016, a lot of young people, they came back from uh, Taipei to Taichung to Tainan and even to uh, other local cities to cast their ballots for DPP candidates. And that became the prominent uh, reason why those DPP candidates uh, you know, got, got to win. So to me, I think that's one thing we should notice. And the second is that um, uh, because uh, this year, I think what's unique about the election in Taiwan is that uh, many campaign goes online. Uh, you know, the extent is much even more, is even wider than two years ago or four years ago. So um, uh, many candidates, including Han Guoyu and also uh, like uh, uh, New Taipei City, the candidates, uh, Hou Youyi, they try really hard to work on this. But comparatively, DPP candidates, they did not do as well this year, according to my observation, compared with them before. So I think that's kind of the... Uh, you know, you know, uh, kind of the uh, flip side, kind of the other way around in this year. That's kind of unique to me. Yeah, I'd like to second that. I mean, it appears quite clearly that the DPP has locked up the traditional uh, 
side of their voters. So any of the elderly people or some of the smaller interest groups, the Hakka community, for example. But it will depend very much on whether people actually get out of their homes in whatever other city and get down to Kaohsiung, because the youth vote seems to be skewing quite a ways over towards the KMT, which is a big change. Now, I, I can add something here, because um, I, I, I've started paying a lot of attention to Kaohsiung uh, recently for obvious reasons. Um, and so I'm kind of fascinated by, by it. I'm not being there, uh, so I'm a, it's something of a remove. Now, I did check this, uh, uh, is that he is getting a lot of heat online, uh, speaking to, to Albert, Albert's point, point here. Uh, however, I did notice something, and it was a pan, uh, pan blue news outlet the other night. And the woman was introducing him as, uh, you know, and sort of hyping him up. And she had this whole chart showing his growth in line social messaging uh, <clears throat> uh, numbers. And it showed it for like the last month or something. And it was going up pretty quick, like 7,000 a day or something fairly quickly. But then I noticed at the very, the last entry is in a single day, it went up by 100,000. And going from 200,000 to 300,000, and then she started talking about how, oh, so now he's passed up Club He. So that looked to me like that's artificial. Um, but obviously a lot of it's real, and so that's why I was kind of fascinated to listen to what you, what you had to say on that. I would agree. There does definitely seem to be a, a, a disenchantment with at least the last term or so of the DPP governance. So we've had 12 years of uh, Chen Zhu, and then before that. So they've been in power for at least 20 years. And it seems that the uh, DPP candidate is sort of running as the fourth term of Chen Zhu. And he lacks charisma. He's not so good with the camera. He doesn't really emote in the same way. Whereas Han comes in and he apparently realizes he doesn't have a chance to actually win this. And he's just speaking his mind, shooting off the hip. And it starts to appeal with the, just the masses and it starts to grow. And I'm seeing people uh, tell me that uh, you know, they didn't bother voting last time around or they would never have considered a KMT candidate in their life. And they're now going to uh, support him. So, I mean, do you feel that uh, the, I mean, have people brought up the issue of his background? I mean, he grew up in a military dependence village. He's from New Taipei. Uh, I mean, he just, he, you know, he's a mainlander. He's, he doesn't really fit the mold of a southern politician. Do, do you feel that, is that an issue? So, yeah, I mean, when he first uh, got the nomination, there were people who were arguing that he was essentially a carpetbagger and just coming down to Kaohsiung. But uh, he hasn't suffered because, and this is one of the bigger issues, I believe, that if he does win, he is, is set to be sort of, he's independent from the KMT structure in Taipei in a way. They put him down there with no hopes of him actually winning this at all. He ran for the KMT chair, previous to this, and garnered about 6% of the vote and fell far, far behind uh, all the other candidates. So this is almost like a, a consolation prize. Well, go one run for Kaohsiung mayor. And he goes down there and by the very force of his personality manages to draw these people in. So he speaks Taiwanese, albeit with a, a slight accent, uh, but it's good enough. You know, he looks the part. He looks comfortable in shirt sleeves and, you know, no tie and he looks like he could be a truck driver or perhaps a, a person at a market. He, he doesn't have this, any kind of pretentious aura to him. So it's going down so far quite well in the South. His whole shtick, his whole appeal is, and whether it's real or not, uh, time will tell, but uh, that hasn't been an issue.
for the most part. Uh, no, another thing that I've noticed... Uh, sorry, I'm jumping in asking your no, question. carry on. Carry on. <laughs> I, I just, I'm curious here. Uh, uh, I've noticed that... Uh, I know in the South, frequently KMT candidates don't wear their, you know, the, the KMT emblem. But I've noticed he's wearing it very overtly. Um, <clears throat> but do, are other, other candidates now jumping on the bandwagon? Were they previously hiding it and now showing it? Or... If you look at the campaign signs around Kaohsiung, most of the KMT candidates will have a very small little logo of the party, and the banner might be pink or some other color, and you'll have to search for a little bit to figure out what party they're from. So, yeah, I I see where you're coming from. And at the rally last week, where anywhere from 30,000 to more people attended, everyone was flying ROC flags quite proudly and, you know, people talking about Zhonghua Mingguo. And we haven't heard this kind of talk, especially in southern Taiwan, for a very, very long time. So as far as other candidates, we're not, Kaohsiung is pretty much set already. All the banners are already up. But at the rallies, you're starting to see uh, Han show up in Tainan. He was there, I think, uh, last night or the night before? Last night. Last night. And uh, uh, former President Ma was there, and he got up on stage and made a speech that basically uh, concentrated on Han. Kind of forgot about the, the Tainan uh, candidate that he was stumping for. So there is a wave, um, but it seems to be led by him alone. He's a force just outside of the main party. I don't know if you agree with that. Right. Um, kind of speaking of the Ben Wagen effect that Han is receiving right now, I think uh, uh, Donovan, I, I think you made a good point that uh, there's a high hyper versus reality. But to me, I think this is not what matters because, you know, even though you have that real likes on the Facebook uh, fan page, it doesn't mean anything. But what that matters is that it generates the momentum and also excitement among the population. And that's what Hang is pretty successful in this. And even the DPP, those political leaders, they have to acknowledge that this is the factors that they have to deal with emerging. Uh, with the emergency, because otherwise it would go going vi- gun virus and going out of control. So, so that's why uh, uh, Chen Qimai now he's attacking, attacking uh, Han. Normally, uh, you know, incumbents would does not attack uh, challenges like that. But now you can see the situation is happening. So I think Han is pretty successful in that. So I think it's kind of like meaningless or maybe kind of reveal the weakness of DPP to work on or to emphasize on whether it's real or not. I think that's not a point. The point is that the excitement has been generated. And media, even the pen green out news outlets, they have to focus on this part to report because they are forced to. Otherwise, they lose a lot of audiences. Okay, so that's my first point. And also, um, I think if we move up to another county, which is Tainan, I think uh, the parallel uh, KMT candidates, the Gao Sibo, he's actually one friend of mine. He just lacks that kind of charisma. You know, if, if everybody remembers that Taizong, uh, we almost had, had a, a candidate uh, 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 younger and also more educated than uh, Lu Xiaoyan, Zhang Qichen, right? He's supposed to be here today, but he, he, he was busy. Um, you know, th- these type of politicians, they have a characteristic that they lack uh, the... the uh, a charisma. I mean, that they do have a charisma, but they're just not, not active enough. That's like traditional type of the KMT styles. But Han Goyu, just like what uh, uh, the, uh, Eric said, uh, that uh, he kind of, because there's no hope for him in the very first place in Kaohsiung. So for him, it's like start from zero. And that's why he, he has no burden carrying on his back. So he can, he can work his own way up. Yeah. And it, it might be fair to say that the DPP suffered from um, a candidate who won the primary but really 
didn't offer any excitement. So people way back when they were contemplating who to nominate, they were already starting to talk about this. They were talking about Chenju fatigue and the whole just the, the, the you know too many too many years in a row. So people were suggesting why don't we nominate a new face, maybe a younger man with a family, try to get more of a, a different look to the to the candidacy. But in the end the person that we all had believed would win did win. And the inevitability of this candidate seemed to irk a certain segment of the voters. They were like, "Really?" We're, giving, we're, we're being given this, is, this choice. We, we can't you know, get anything better than this. And then out of the blue, uh, quite literally, um, Han comes in and just sort of overturns the apple cart with statements that are not generally made by those sort of KMT politicians. Coming in and criticizing Kaohsiung really harshly, you wouldn't think that that would be a winning ticket for him. But because he's managed to do it with his charisma and the fact that the other side is unfortunately lacking in that completely, we may see an overturning here. Right. So, so you feel like they're just tired of being taken for granted by the DPP? They're tired of that, and they're also tired of uh, many projects that are being completed in the city that are all well and good, but they're not really benefiting the average uh, voter uh, especially young people. Salaries are extremely low, uh, as they are in many places of Taiwan, but we're losing population. We might even lose a legislator in a, another round or two because of population decreases. So you drive down the main street of like Zhongshan Lu or Zhongzhen Lu in Kaohsiung, and you'll see just for rent, for rent, for sale, for sale, all these storefronts. Nothing's open, nothing's vibrant, nothing's kicking, right? So coming in in this sort of environment and saying, this place is old and poor. We can do better than this. It's a pretty decent argument to make. Now, whether or not if he does take power, he can actually produce results in a very short time, working with the Thai administration, that would be a, a totally different question. Right. Speaking of the young, younger uh, voters, I actually have another observation kind of to add up. Uh, is that uh, people say that why DPP was able to win the election in 2014 and even 2016 was because of the efforts by President, uh, former President Chen Shui-bian. Because when he was in, uh, in power, he actually uh, creates a whole curriculum that's kind of removed the influence of China and avoid talking about the China Chinese history. So when those children grew up and they became voters, so they kind of show their loyalty to DPP. So that was a success for DPP. But now it's kind of, kind of the other way around. That uh, KMT, uh, although they kind of uh, historically ignore young voters, but those young voters, they now because of the rise in China and also its influence, and a lot of, uh, more and more young voters in Taiwan, they watch the TV show from China, they sing the Chinese songs, and although some other older people like me, probably we, we are not a big fan of Chinese songs, but younger people, like my students, my students, they do. So that's, that influence kind of you know, flip side on the other round. So it's kind of fun to watch this uh, uh, in Taiwan, the generation kind of ups and downs uh, regarding their attitude toward China and how that has the implication for, for their voting choice. You talk to a 22-year-old 20, uh, college student in Kaohsiung, and they just don't have the same political intensity with right. regard or fervor for anti-China or, or, or sort of a nationalistic, you know, Taiwan kind of thing. They just don't care. What they do care about is they're looking at going to work full-time and making 27, 28,000, like 
after taxes and the if if they're lucky, right? So this frustration has started to build. Pollution is coming in earlier every year. We're just there's a there's a, a, a pessimism for the future in the south of Taiwan, and uh, whether that's you know based on completely valid uh, notions or not is a debatable question. But yeah, I would have to agree. They're young people. They just they don't really care, and they see Han as um, inspiring. They see him as genuine. And when you've got that combination, and the other side is lackluster, you have the potential for this upset. Donovan, I, it's something I, I've noticed with Han Guoyu, and it's, I, I don't know about what you guys think on this one. Um, something there seems to be a pattern forming. I, I feel, um, and that is that younger people are they're tired of, and I've been writing about this for a while. They're, they're tired of the KMT because the, the pro-China ideology just isn't isn't working anymore. But people are also fed up with the DPP. They're, they're, there's a very young people that I've talked to that have virtually no interest in politics, not because they, because they, they don't want to. It's because they're fed up with their choices. And it seems to me like we, we, that with uh, Kepi in Taipei, and when they see an option that comes across as genuine, honest, and straight, that that's what they're they're being becoming more and more attracted to, and that seems to be the trend. It, it does. It, what do you what do you think about that? Right. I think young people, young generation in Taiwan, they dislike the two parties alike, but for different reasons. Uh, on the parts of KMT, they think that okay, KMT maybe they are better at the gener- uh, uh, generates better economic perfor- performance, but um, the wealth gap uh, deteriorates uh, as long as KMT is in power, and that has been. Uh, observed and also recorded in when President Mainjo was in power. But on the other hand, the young people, uh, those young people, they do not like DPP in the sense that DPP all the time break about how much they can do to defeat China or kind of to go against them. But in fact, they did nothing and also losing the battlegrounds in the international community. So, you know, two types of disappointments really uh, back down those young voters to go out to vote. But relatively speaking, uh, compared with uh, voters, young voters uh, for KMT, voters for DPP, they are more willing to take action. So whenever there is a good performance on the part of DPP, young voters are willing to go out to vote. But at this time, uh, you know, this year, obviously, DPP candidates did not do uh, that, that, that well. And that's why a lot of, uh, like, like Eric just suggested, a lot of young voters, they just don't want to express their, their supports or, like, you know, lend their supports to DPP candidates. And that's, that's how, they, how, how that happens. So I, I don't know what you think about it. Yeah. As we noted earlier, it's, it really is a, a combination of just the charisma of Han and the frustrations that we're experiencing in the South. He came out of nowhere. And just the the way that he speaks, the way that he presents, he has a a very decent social media presence. His daughter is, uh, you know, a a young 20-something-year-old college student, and she's active online uh, with, he makes videos for for Line or for Facebook, and he he just, he's comfortable in his own skin. And that's a, a trait that I think in the South in particular really, really prefers to see as a person who at least projects this sort of genuineness. So, Mr. Han's going to win. We've just worked that one out completely. <laughs> so, what are the ramifications, though, for a sudden change of government in Kaohsiung, Eric? Well, think about all of the uh, projects that are 
almost nearing completion. We've got the cruise ship, we've got uh, a pop music center, the light rail, all these major infrastructure projects. All of those things will be not reevaluated necessarily, but the people and the teams that were working on them will all be shifted and changed. Every one of Kaohsiung's 38 districts will be getting a new district chief or head, and that's selected by the mayor and his team. So it'll be a, a very big shakeup. And on a national stage, because the KMT put Han down there without any sort of notion that he would ever win, uh, and if he does pull this victory out for them, they're going to kind of owe him in a way. So I see him as becoming a, a powerful figure in the party, but perhaps in a sort of a, more of a copy sort of way. I think if uh, Han uh, win the election, I think he will change drastically uh, the policy in Kaohsiung towards China. Okay, because he keeps saying that uh, he will sell a lot of products to China uh, in Kaohsiung rather than kind of uh, follow up the President Tsai Ing-wen's policy to, uh, in the direction of Southeast Asia. So that's Han's difference from uh, Chen Chi Mai. And I think for young people, now, uh, even like if we remember uh, those young people, they attended the uh, protest the, in, in legislative year back in 2014. Uh, many of them, even though they did not like China that very much, but they had to go to China for a job because the, the pay there is higher and also maybe more opportunities and more international too. But Kaohsiung or Taizong you know, are not able to uh, offer environments like that for them. So this is kind of paradox or kind of like the uh, conflict, most likely mentally, in, in, in for, for them. So... If Han win the election, maybe there's more better connection between Kaohsiung and China um, regarding manufacturer and even other uh, industries. Han hasn't actually uh, made a lot of noise about China. He's kept, I mean, ex- except for the economic thing. He hasn't made any political comments about, you know, one China or any of these sort of policies. I think whether he wins or loses, uh, I think he's going to become a heavyweight in the party, like Albert said here. Uh, just simply because, I mean, the KMT right now is short on stars. They're, they're, they're desperately short on national level uh, heavyweight politicians. They've got some uh, – they've got a lot of legislature, legislators who are strong. They have strong local bases, but they don't have very many people in the party who have a strong positive national image. And he seems to be building that. So, again, whether he wins or loses, I think he's going to be a, a force in the party to reckon with. What about the other way? Sorry, Albert. The other way, obviously – Han Guoyu becomes a great big player in the Guomindang. What happens to the DPP if he wins in Kaohsiung? And will heads roll? Will Tsai Ing-wen step down as chairperson? Right. That's a, that's a crucial question. I think if DPP uh, lost Kaohsiung in this election, I, I, I think definitely President Tsai Ing-wen has to step down because that's a symbolic defeat. Okay, that's a... That's a that's a that's a holocaust, if you will, for for DPP, and 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 if as well as Taizong, they suffer from the defeat in Taizong, and that's a terrible. So that means that Taiwan will probably lose election in 2020, and Kepi, according to my my observation and also my discussion with other politicians in in Pen Blue Camp and Pen Green Camp, they think that Kepi, uh, Professor Ke uh, and Mayor Ke, he definitely will come out. Uh, run as a presidential candidate in 2020 and to compete against Tsai Ing-wen. And if, if DPP lost uh, in Taizong and Kaohsiung, I think there's a slim chance for Tsai Ing-wen to 
to, to win uh, in the election in 2020. So I, th- I think, that, you know, I can expect that. <coughs> I think it's going to depend a lot on the other races. Um, if, this is, if this upset is pulled out but the DPP does well elsewhere, I don't think that she's going to step down at all. I think she's going to do fine. I remember she, uh, I guess, handpicked or was very, very part of the process in the last cycle of getting candidates that she thought were going to have a chance at winning in various areas, right? But that year, Chen Ju was still eligible for her, her last term, right? So she may have not uh, supervised in the same way, or if she did, many people will be asking, why did you pick these particular individuals, you know? Uh, the lack of charisma in the DPP uh, person in Kaohsiung is just, it's overwhelming. You go to his, his rallies, and it's, there's, a, there's an excuse towards the elderly. He, he doesn't look the part. He doesn't look comfortable. He just, it's, it's not working. And in Tainan, it looks like uh, the DPP will hold on to the, this, the mayorship there. That, that's looking pretty, pretty decent. The watermelon. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> but to take uh, both Taichung and Kaohsiung would be cataclysmic. We have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these important commercials. Welcome back to this special edition of Taiwan This Week. And now our special round table moves on to talking about central Taiwan. Right, anyway, we shall move to Taichung, seeing as we're in Taichung. And, of course, Poles, Donovan, they've been a bit all over the place and they've yo-yoed everywhere, haven't they? Yeah, and I've spoken to some people now. Essentially, what seems to be happening now is that the Poles are moving back to the 90s when they were basically playthings of the political parties. Um, The Poles do not seem to be reliable at all. Um, to take the last two polls that uh, have come out in Taichung, um, <clears throat> there was one uh, with a, that came out from a DPP-affiliated uh, think tank and uh, that had uh, Lin Jialong over 10 points ahead. <clears throat> then you've got the TVBS funded by the KMT poll, which had Lucio, Lucio Yen uh, o- over 8 points ahead. So that's an over 18-point spread between those two results. So obviously these polls are useless, and even other, the other ones are just slightly less bad uh, as far as the polling. Now, I noticed just today um, uh, on the KMT website, but also I've noticed that in the, a lot of the commentary where the KMT politicians are speaking, <clears throat> in spite of the polls that recently seem to be showing you uh, ahead, they are publicly saying that the polls have them neck and neck. So I suspect that they're looking at their internal polling, which may have them actually down, and are talking it up. That's my gut feeling on that one. <clears throat> Lynn, uh, the DPP has been consistently saying that they are stable and ahead. Um, <clears throat> and now, I don't know whether they're telling the truth or not, um, but they seem a lot less nervous about Taichung than they do about Zhanghua, for example. So I, right now, I think that Lin may win. Uh, he just had a big rally, which was very well attended. It looked like it about the same number of people as, um, <clears throat> as hands down in, uh, in, uh, in Kaohsiung. And it was a little bit surprising because the, they set out all the chairs. They were immediately filled, and again, it was it was packed to the packed to the roof for uh, Lin Jialong. And I was a little surprised to see that much enthusiasm. Uh, frankly, I think I agree with you. I think the general 
uh, conclusion for me is that this race is still neck and neck. Okay, and uh, but still, I would like to share with you guys on the basis of the most recent polling results. According to the Formosa poll, Meridao Dianzibao, the KMT mayor candidate Lu has an edge over incumbent Mayor Lin by 60 percentage points. 31 percent of the voters support Lu, whereas 25.6 percent of them support Lin. It should be reminded that the Formosa online media has been hugely friendly to the Penguin camp. And the poll results warns that the Lin does not make use of his incumbent advantage that well so as to generate a salient lead over Lu. On the other hand, uh, in my perspective, Lu is not very active regarding PR and uh, emphasizing her policy agenda. As opposed to the KMT mayor candidates Han Guoyu in Kaohsiung and the KMT mayor candidates Hou Youyi in New Taipei. This certainly has to do with the personality of Lu and her disorganized campaign teamwork. Lu was on the right track of putting the air pollution on the front burner, but did not continue to score on this issue. Lin, on the other hand, relies on the opening of the 2018 Taichung World Flora Exposition in the beginning of this coming November, so, so as to leave the neck uh, and the neck competition with Lu. But to me, I kind of predicts that the effects of the uh, Ferrara uh, exposition uh, will have only limited effects on the kind of neck and the neck competition. Because at, after all, Taizong is not Taipei. And for example, uh, people in Taizong, we, we always love to drive and ride in, instead of taking public transportation. So that uh, the traffic jam, jam uh, is going to be expected you know, in, in, in the Ferrara exposition occasion. So how are these issues are going to be taken care of? And I, I don't hear any kind of concrete uh, policy or kind of solution to that. But you mentioned the pollution there, Albert. And of course, Donovan would tell us that the pollution has been a very contentious issue and one that might have been poo-pooed recently by a recent study. <coughs> a recent study. Well, uh, the, the statistics... <laughs> Uh, on the air pollution, uh, th it's been improving for years. It actually started improving under Jason Hu's administration, but Lin Jialong's administration has kept kept the improvement going. Uh, but the the, <clears throat> the 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 tricky part about it is, and I, I you know I took pictures out of my window, and so I've been following it actually quite closely for quite a while the air pollution here. And but if you <clears throat> if you actually look at the statistics, it is getting better, but people's perception of it as an issue and their awareness of it as an issue has been increasing dramatically. So people's perception is that the air pollution is getting worse when, by all factual measures, it's getting better. Um, <clears throat> so when you talked about Lu Xiaoyan, she did try and put this on the front burner, but as a, and, but, and, and as you mentioned, she really doesn't have much in the way of policy. Mm -hmm. It's basically just attack, 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 attack. The air is bad, the air is bad, attack, attack, attack. And that's kind of her whole campaign. And <clears throat> the, um, but the air pollution issue is a weak one for her to take. Um, because it's largely dominated by the, what's left that, the, that they can take care of now is the Taichung power plant, um, which is one of the largest single stationary you know, uh, sources of pollution on the planet. But that is, and when the Jialong tried to and passed through the city council um, <clears throat> measures to limit Thai power's uh, start bringing back or, or cutting Thai power's coal burning uh, and emissions, 
the central government just simply overruled um, uh, the local government. So there's a limit now to what the, the local government can do, and Lynn and to a certain degree also Jason who before him, have done pretty much what they can do, which is sub, you know, throw subsidies at two-stroke scooters, change the boilers <laughs> in factories from uh, – but which is a relatively small portion of air pollution now, but change what small boilers and generators they have in small factories to natural gas. But they're running out of things that the city government can do. So there's not a whole lot that, that she could actually do to improve it. Above and beyond what Lynn's doing. Same in the South. They're, they proposed ideas like uh, Renwu District. No trucks allowed on certain roads at certain times of the day. But if you live there and you look out the window every morning and you just see this nasty haze, you, you, you think about, okay, let's get rid of a few trucks on the road. It's, it's not a policy that has much appeal to it. And it's, just, it's frustrating to think that your kids are breathing this stuff. We've, we had two red flag days in the past month in Kaohsiung where they're actually advising you if you have weak lungs or if you are of certain conditions to not go outside. Well, a few years ago, we had a lot of purple days where basically they were advising if you're a human being, don't go outside. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Donovan, we've got Zhanghua County as well. Yeah, Zhanghua is another interesting race. Um, <clears throat> that race there, Zhanghua, a lot of people don't sort of ignore the Zhanghua race, but it's a particularly pivotal one, I think, um, in that, first of all, it's the largest administration outside of the big six municipalities. So it's a big entity uh, to run. So whoever wins that, it's also a crucial battleground. It's traditionally been light blue uh, along with uh, along with Taichung. And of course, Zhanghua and Taichung flipped in the last election. Nanto's pretty solidly blue. Um, and so the, 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 the KMT, of course, hopes to get both Taichung and Zhanghua, but if they can get Zhanghua, they can surround Taichung effectively. Um, and the race there is, could go, it, it, it's all, uh, you know, as to who's going to win that one, it's really hard to, to predict because the polling, as such as it is, is most, A, it's largely useless, but it, it tends to be showing a pattern of, uh, Huang Huimei ahead, uh, the KMT candidate slightly ahead of Wei Mingu. Um, <clears throat> and a lot of people, you can tell the DPP's nervous about losing it, and the KMT seems fairly confident. However, all the polling uh, shows huge numbers of people who are not, uh, who are undecided, and they could go anywhere on this one. Um, and the other, the other wild card is Huang Wenling, who's an independent candidate who is polling sometimes in the single or double-digit numbers. And <clears throat> whether or not she's getting momentum, and, for example, Kupi's mother keeps coming down and visiting her, and um, <clears throat> so there's – this is going to be a very interesting race. Um, uh, <clears throat> the KMT candidate uh, is strong in the north, and she's, she's campaigning a lot on pollution because they get a lot of pollution coming down into Lugang and Hemei, that area where she's from, uh, right from the Taichung power plant, because it just comes right down the coast. Um, <clears throat> but on the other hand, Wei Mingu is stronger in the south, but then he's bringing in a lot of business uh, on the offshore wind, and there's over a trillion NT in MOUs right now out there for investment in offshore wind alone. Uh, 
And they just launched the uh, nation's largest solar uh, power plant uh, there. So they're, in theory, this should be bringing in a lot of jobs right into, the, uh, into uh, Huang Huimei's uh, home turf uh, in that area. So I don't know if that's going to, you know, but it's all MOUs at this point. There, there's not a lot on the ground yet. How about? I think the election uh, this year is very unique in the sense that uh, we don't see any stars either KMT or DPP in the middle parts of Taichung, uh, in, the middle, in the middle parts of Taiwan. And Lin Jialong is not that, that type of charismatic uh, a leader. Uh, neither is uh, Wang, Wang Huimei or Lu Xiuyan. So, you know, what else they can do? They have to rely on the stars from the north, which is like what you suggested, uh, the uh, mayor Ke Wenzhe, and also the rising star Han Guoyu in Kaohsiung. They actually come up to Taichung to help out their, 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 their allies to, to kind of uh, promote themselves. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not sure whether you guys have noticed uh, there is a phenomenon that there is almost no connection between Wang Huimei and Lu Xiuyan. But, but the two counties, I mean, the cities and county are contiguous. Yeah. But there is no connection between the two leaders. And I don't know what's going on. Eh? Is any kind of problem with coordination between the two camps? And are they sleeping or anything? So I, I don't know why they, they are able to make the campaign as boring as, as like this. And I think they should wake up because only 30 days ahead of us and, and to the election. Day, yeah. I, I have a theory on that. Uh, okay. oh, by the way, Han Guoyu is coming to Zhanghua uh, okay. uh, in so a few days. So that's going to help a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I suspect that uh, the, 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 I think with uh, Liu Xiuyan, she comes from Jilong, uh, the mainlander back, background. She's urban downtown Taichung. Right. That's her base. Um, Wang Huimei, she comes out of the factional Paul a very local, uh, and th there's a culture clash there. I, I think that okay. that's, that would be my guess. I don't know. Right, of course, let's just, just suppose the KMT do win big in central Taiwan. Obviously, the central government has put a lot of money and effort into promoting the central part of the island as its green energy base. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you see the kibosh being put on this if the KMT win in Zhanghua, or will it continue going the same way it's going? Well, it, it, the, they're going to have to keep it going uh, because, the, you know, they've made all the promises on 2025. Now, admittedly, that they made those promises, uh, you know, the, the Thai government made that. Now, admittedly, they, made, they set that goal one year after she would finish two terms. So, you know, I don't know how serious they are, but they do seem to be pushing toward the anti-nuclear uh, goal, and they are pushing toward having 20% renewables. They can't drop the ball on it now and all the MOUs and a lot of real contracts are now signed. Do you think the KMT government in Zhanghua will put the same, much, same effort into it? I, I don't see why not uh, because it's, it's not costing them much but they're increasing the tax base and that was a big thing that actually Wei Mingu just the other day announced was that CIP the Copenhagen Infrastructure uh, well, I forget what the P is but <laughs> um, uh, Partners I think it is um, they, they set up an office there uh, in Zhanghua, which means that there's going to be tax revenue generated for Zhanghua rather than having the you know office up in Taipei, and that's a big deal. So I think the KMT is not going to, my guess, uh, 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 is that they're going to keep it going at the very least to try and get more taxes and jobs. Albert. Right. Uh, speaking of the nuclear energy policy in Taiwan, I think the uh, current Taiwan administration is really stuck in this because on the one hand they try to uh, claim that they want to make uh, Taiwan more green 
and also less uh, reliance on the nuclear energy. But also, on the other hand, we really rely on the uh, the 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 Taichung power plants to generate more electricity. And uh, most of the electricity, uh, the power has to be trans uh, transported to to the northern parts of Taiwan. But people in the middle parts of Taichung, uh, middle part of Taiwan, we kind of suffer from the results. Okay, so there's a dilemma for the DPP governments in that uh, they do not know how to strike a balance between the two, and also uh, they are stuck on this because it's not easy for them to move away from their belief in uh, the nuclear, uh, you know, the, the policy. So for, for them, I think they have to find a new solution rather than the slogan they used 20 years ago, but they're still using it. I think they are losing uh, its utility in, uh, in terms of making appealing to voters. Oh, in the South, uh, looking at the economic situation, they've put a lot of focus on developing the tourism industry, specifically with an eye towards Southeast Asia and these places. But it's not picking up steam with the, the speed that they were initially hoping for. So we are seeing uh, double-digit growth from Malaysia, Thailand, other places, but they're only coming in for a short time. They're not spending as much money as hoped for. So I don't see any resurrection of Kaohsiung as a, like a, a factory base in the same way. The Kaohsiung Science Park is uh, slowly expanding, and the government continues to hope that that will kind of catch fire. But uh, with the tourism angle, most of the commentators are saying the best we can hope for is that China kind of gives us a nod and lets the, uh, lets the people flood back in for the, the, the tourism that was, you know, quite vibrant um, eight, eight years ago, six years ago or so. And of course, Taichung didn't get a nod, did it? Apparently it's got a big no from China now. Uh, yeah, uh, the, the, there, is, there are reports out there um, <clears throat> that uh, China is specifically asking um, that all tour groups avoid Taichung and the, they set a time frame which basically corresponds with the Flora Expo. And bizarrely, they very specifically also mentioned, do not go to the Fengjia Night Market. Yes. Because apparently that could corrupt your minds. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, they, the, but China definitely wants to try and dampen any turnout at the Flora Expo to try and undermine uh, You don't think Taichung. this could be dampened turnout at the polls voting for Lin Jialong? No, it might actually help him. Um, China recently canceled the East Asia Games uh, very arbitrarily and kind of out of the blue. And uh, Lin saw a bump in the polls across partisan lines. Um, right now, Lu Xiaoyan has on, actually, as her profile picture, uh, says basically never give up on the East Asia Games. Uh, but I, I think actually China's been helping Lin rather than uh, Liu on this one. It can't be meaning to do that, Albert, surely. It must be a mistake. Someone's made a mistake in Beijing. Okay. <laughs> oh, I don't know that part. Uh, but um, I, I, I tend to uh, consider that um, I think there are two types of arguments regarding the tourists coming from China. Uh, on the one hand, that's the perspective of DPP. They think that um, uh, the traditional industries in tai Taiwan, especially in the middle of Taichung, they were kind of lazy and, and, and slack off because they always rely on, for example, the hotels, they always rely on the business from, from, from Chinese tourists, and they do not know how to modernize. They do not know how to refine their servers and, and make themselves look more civilized. So once the economic tie was cut by the Chinese government, so they will 
kind of suffer immediately. But on the other hand, KMT would say, oh, I mean, come on, you just kind of place your blame on the ordinary business people. They are weak. I mean, what else can they do? They are just ordinary people. They are not like you. You guys are, you know, vested interest. So, you know, in the perspective of KMT, they tend not to place the blame on those small and medium business, unlike DPP, which is very odd to me because in the past, we always perceived DPP as a party that, you know, in support of the small and the medium business and KMT on the other around. But now it's kind of, you know, flip side. So uh, I, I think both of them uh, have their reason for it. And I think the business in Taiwan, especially the traditional business like manufacturers or the, those small vendors, they really have to take care of, they really have to emphasize what else they can improve in the future. For example, um, in the middle parts of Taizong, as well as the southern Taizong, a lot of business, they really, uh, they, are, they feel reluctant to abide by the law of labor wage and taxation. You know, a lot of manufacturers, uh, they, you know, feel reluctance in adopting advanced technology and even conform to the eco-friendly standards and so on. So I think maybe uh, the, the, Decreasing, decreasing population of the Chinese tourists might be a risk and it might be a danger to the economy in Taiwan. But you know, put put another to put it another way, it might be another opportunity for for those manufacturers to improve, to 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 become more refined. Now we have to wrap it up shortly, sir. Do we have any questions from the floor? Freddie's got one. My question is for uh, Donovan. In your uh, capacity as Amcham Taichung chairperson. How will the outcome of the elections here in Taichung influence the business opportunities for foreign investments and for foreign companies here? But the expat community, will it have any difference at all? What is your read on that? It's really hard to say. Um, <clears throat> the, the difference between Lin and Lua in this one is that with Lin Jialong, we already know the, the, what he's doing. <clears throat> in other words, we know what his plans are. The thing with Lu Xiaoyan is we don't know. Uh, she's not very clear uh, on what her policies are. Um, she's not really campaigning that much on that. Um, so it's yeah, she, for example, she she campaigns saying you know t complaining about the wages. But the reality is, Taichung's wages, uh, at least within Taiwan, are not that bad. Um, and anything that could be fixed really is more of a national issue, not a local one. Um, so that's the primary difference. So really fundamentally the answer is we don't know. Um, but we do at least know where, where, where we stand. And, you know, I'm speaking as an individual here. I can't really speak for, for, the, for the membership. Um, but I, I, I think it's pretty clear that with, with Lynn we know where the trajectory is, what the plans are, what to do. We just don't know. It could be better or worse. We, we don't know. You've been listening to a special edition of Taiwan This Week, recorded live at an ECCT-ICRT roundtable event that took place in Taichung, where we looked at how the November municipal elections are shaping up in both the centre and south. And on the panel today was ICRT's Central Taiwan correspondent Donovan Smith, ICRT's Kaohsiung and Southern Taiwan correspondent Eric Michael Smith, and Albert Cho, an Associate Professor of Political Science at the Donghai University in Taichung. And thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out more Taiwan This Week podcasts on your iTunes and Android podcast apps, where, of course, you can access to all our previous shows. 
Tune in again next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.